Welcome. I'm Lauren Ash, and you're listening to the Black Girl in Ohm podcast. Black Girl in Ohm exists to hold and catalyze healing within Black women around the world on their unique journeys towards wholeness. We support the necessary transformation, spiritual awakening, consciousness shifts, and intergenerational healing occurring within the diaspora. This podcast is a warm embrace, soothing realness, and conscious girl talk. Come into conversation with me and our spirit-centered guests. Let the journey begin. Hey, y'all. Hey, community. I want you to close your eyes and just picture a sisterhood that's filled with thousands of journeyers just like you, lifting one another up, spiritual teachers, thought leaders, wellness practitioners pouring into you with their insights. Open your eyes and you should probably head over to blackgirlhome.com because we have this community for you. The Circle sources our members with empowering guides, divinely ordained connections, and culturally aligned resources for you as you expand into your most authentic self. I'm so grateful that enrollment is open and it won't be for long, so be sure to head over to blackgirlhome.com and check out The Circle. All right, y'all. I am so grateful and giddy right now (laughs) for this conversation with a friend of mine. She is a beautiful artist. She is a mystic. She is someone who, to me, embodies what it means to channel and transmute a lot of challenge and a lot of even pain in your life for a purpose that is beyond imagination (laughs) Mm -hmm. and to provide space for others to do the same, particularly for women of color. So Chetna Mehta is here in the studio. Hey, Chetna. Hello. How are you? (laughs) I'm really grateful to be here and to be talking on this topic. Yes. Yes. And we already had a pre-conversation to the conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's already juicy. Let's record. Let's hit play. (laughs) (laughs) So just a little bit about your platform, Mosaic Eye. Um, You have such a beautiful way of describing what Mosaic Eye even means to you. Um, You share that it's a metaphor for each of us as a work of art, comprised of many colorful and sundry pieces of life experiences, values, and gifts. And also that our collective humanity is also a mosaic with each individual representing a piece of stone, glass or ceramic coming in billions of eclectic shapes, tones, and bodies arranged together in a divine composition. I read that and I was like, that is so gorgeous. Mm. So I wanted to start off with asking you, what metaphorical pieces of stone, glass, or ceramic have you picked up this year in 2019? Ooh, (laughs) in 2019, so, so many. Actually, the first one is really real. (laughs) It's like going right to the heart of it, to be honest. This year has been my year of recovery, Mm. of independence and reclaiming my power against substance Mm -hmm. and finding a more clear channel toward my creativity, Mm. to kind of a higher knowledge of my abundance in terms of creativity and my ability to manifest from what I already have within me versus being assisted by something like cannabis, for example, specifically related to my journey. That's been a huge 
piece of gem in my mosaic this year that I'm hoping to keep shining and keep adding to. Yes. I love that you drew attention to the fact that it is something to keep on keeping on. Absolutely. You it's know? a practice. Yes. yes. That's beautiful. And I know that we're looking at a very significant shift in the year ahead, 2020, that just brings about so many feelings for so many of us, especially doing healing work. What do you anticipate receiving and adding to your mosaic in the next year? Mm. Man, I'm so open to whatever it is. It's hard to predict. Mm -hmm. But what I intend for is being really graceful in transition. I'm about to move to Denver, Colorado, which is a place I never would have considered inhabiting or living um, (laughs) until... I decided to do it with the love of my life. Yes. (laughs) So it's a new adventure. And I want to be intentional in that, in that I want to be very open to cultivating conscious community, to spending more intentional time in nature. Beautiful. To climbing trees. I've not climbed trees much in Chicago because I just haven't found one that would receive me very easily. (laughs) And so it's been kind of a challenge, but Mm -hmm. I'm ready to come back to that. And just to be around and to soak up and to give thanks on a daily basis to like that big mountain energy. (laughs) That's just going to be, it feels so natural to me, especially having lived in California for much of my life. So I think just expressing more gratitude on a daily basis for wherever I am and then to see what comes because I think with that energy, things would just naturally be attracted. That's beautiful. And I just hear in your response to that you're just really so open and surrendering to whatever is intended for you. So that's a beautiful place to be. Can't wait to, you know, listen to this a year from now and to reflect with you on Ooh. all that has transpired. Yes. <laughs> this will be a little time capsule. Yes. I love it. So in your work, I know that you use mixed media art, you are an educator, and you're an advocate for radical self-reflection in a very circular way with your community. So you do work one-on-one, but you also use your platform on social media to also spark like real, honest conversations and insight around self-actualization, growth, and also shedding light on some darker, you know, aspects of the human condition. So how did you step into this work? I know your story and mm. it's very profound and whatever you'd like to share with us today, we're open to receive it. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I love this question because how I started leveraging creativity as a healing practice, as a way to bring soothing to myself relates to various stones and gems in my mosaic up until now. So there have really been three important instances, situations in my life that have helped me both leverage art and art making in various forms as a way to heal. So the first one was when I was seven. Mm -hmm. My family and I immigrated to California from South Africa. Mm -hmm. And we went from being surrounded by all my grandparents, cousins, uncles, aunts, a really rich community, to coming here to a very new country, very different, strange in many ways, with just my parents and my brother. So it was a huge transition. Mm -hmm. And poetry and dancing alone in my room and um, love letter writing was my way to tap into those feelings of longing to belong, longing to be with my family again. And it was also a bridge that I used to maintain that connection and that love even 3,000 miles away. Wow. And what 
kind of perpetuated that practice and affirmed me in that practice was I'd hear on the phone from my grandparents, like, your letter brought me to tears. Mm -hmm. And and then I was continually motivated to keep doing that. Yes. The second really important time in my life was part of, I think, what the story you were alluding to in terms of what you know Mm -hmm. is um, I was in a car accident Mm -hmm. about seven years ago. And it was after a really full packed day, which on paper, according to capitalism, was really successful. Right. And I fell asleep on the road. Mm-hmm. And it's so metaphorical, it's insane. Mm-hmm. I was generally very asleep in my mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. acting as if I was in the passenger seat right. to my life versus the driver's seat. And then the universe was like, boom, look at what, you, <laughs> look what you're doing. Yes. And I, um, I crashed at 1 a.m. in the center divide of the freeway and was in a wheelchair for two months kind of forced to slow down Mm -hmm. and be with my family who took care of me. Mm -hmm. And this is when meditation and like intentional contemplation came into my life. And when I was introduced to people like Eckhart Tolle and Thich Nhat Hanh and all these like beautiful teachers. And it's also when I began to observe my thoughts and put what I was observing within me out on paper. Yes. And... By now, I was sort of realizing, like, I need art. I need art. It's my go-to. It's what I naturally want to do. It was a a very intuitive process. Yes. And the third and most recent situation that is a huge piece in my mosaic that's contributed to how I leverage art for healing today is when I was in grad school two and a half years ago in therapy school, working in the mental health field, working at an urban high school with low-income POC youth, many of whom were undocumented during the time that, quote-unquote, POTUS, <laughs> I still put in quotes. Right, right, got <laughs> to. Was elected. And so there was a lot of sudden fear and crisis in the air that was really hard for all of us to hold. And in the moment, the best thing we could do was to, with in the room with me and, and the youth that I was working with, was listen to music together that that reflected the feelings that were present and to move Mm. and to create and to build soothing boxes that held all the items that brought our senses pleasure. That's, that's the best thing that we could do. And during that time, I was also kind of on like a spiritual kind of personal journey with art too. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling a lot of depression and vicarious trauma, secondary trauma from working and working in this field, which is so common. But I decided, uh, actually inspired by Nalo, my sister-in-law, yes. um, and her casual question of, so are you drawing every day? <laughs> I, don't, she, I mention this all the time as part of the story, and I, I, I want her to know how much that question meant Aww, to me. Yes. Because after that, I was like, maybe I should be drawing every day. Mm. And I started the new year yes. two years ago doing that. And not to create something, right. not to have an outcome, but right. just to sit down for 15 minutes a day right. and put what was going on inside of me on paper. Yes. And that's what the discipline was. It yes. didn't matter to me at the time what I was producing, how beautiful, how shareable it was. Yes. It was more that, that practice of putting pen to paper and nailing that. <laughs> so I did, and I often felt somewhat lighter coming out of that and ready to take on my day. And that's actually where creativity becomes a spiritual practice. Yes. When we're able to create 
with presence and awareness to the process and to yes. its unfolding yes. versus attaching ourselves to some outcome yes. or what may come from the outcome. Yes. And intuitively, I did that in the t- at the time because of necessity, because mm-hmm. of pain, darkness, trauma, like, right. if you will. Right. And a few weeks after, I kind of consulted that pile that was collecting on my desk. And I had a very different relationship to those pieces mm-hmm. like I kind of looked at it and was like damn did I did I draw that like what because <laughs> you were channeling totally yes. absolutely yes yes and um I was accessing kind of a deeper wisdom yes and um I decided to share it because I was actually quite charmed by some of what came out <laughs> yeah. I was like this is kind of cute I like it yeah I'm affirmed by it right now yes and what has built from that has been an affirmed knowing that what I'm going through is also what other people are going through. Absolutely. That my experience is not my experience. Yes. That the circumstances and identities around it might be unique yes. to some degree. Yes. But the experience that like soulful happening yes. is interconnected yes. and it's collective right now. Yes. I love all of this. I love the attention that you draw to putting your observations about your emotions to paper. That's a practice of mine as well. I write Mm. every day. And oftentimes I'm being present with what I am expressing, but I'm not like overly attaching to it. So I'll find myself go back to it a month or two later and I'm like, oh, wow, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm still dealing with whatever it was that I put down. Sometimes I have expanded beyond it and I'm like, oh wow, that's where I was. I can't even believe it. But it's such a beautiful practice of release and expression. And for many of us who due to various experience in our childhood may not have been able to emotionally express, you know, that's certainly my story. Like mm. it's it's also nurturing this inner child. And it's honoring like my younger self and Mm -hmm. who I am now in a really beautiful way. Um, Absolutely. I'm wondering for you, when you started sharing these stories, what's like one of the most kind of beautiful, affirming interactions you've had with sharing a piece of your art that again, is very much rooted in your own personal story. Like everything that you shared, is very true to you and Mm -hmm. something that you have experienced or are experiencing. And I know that you have probably profound interactions with people who are receiving your art. I mean, I think that's what's continued to affirm me in this practice of sharing. I notice that the pieces that are the most painful for me to create, the ones that I'm shedding tears over Mm -hmm. and that I'm processing in therapy, Mm -hmm. that um, come out of my realizations from therapy, for example, and ones that I'm sitting on for a while, using it as medicine for myself first, are the ones that when they are put out in the world and I do release it and let it go in a way, are the ones that also bring that out in Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. that somehow brings them to tears just by seeing it because it taps into something so deep within them that maybe they didn't see or recognize or have forgotten. And I've had people say across miles who I don't even necessarily know Mm -hmm. that like, wow, this this has made me sit with myself in a different way. Yeah. Or this brought me to tears. Yes. Or I feel expanded in this moment seeing this. Yes. Uh, and I say, I get chills just as I say that now because I realize, like, another way to make and to open up creativity as a spiritual practice is to tap into 
a deeper why and a deeper purpose mm-hmm. as to as to the impetus and inspiration for creation. Mm-hmm. And my deeper why I know first and foremost, as it has been across those three major things in my life, mm-hmm. is to bring soothing and healing to myself. Yes. Because it's my experience, my story, my situation that I know best. Yes. And I can leverage that to excavate the wisdom and gems that yes. it's offering me, as hard and challenging as it might be, mm-hmm. to pour into the art. Yes. And I've also learned across time through sharing that that part of my why now is to bridge connection. And it, it was when I was seven. It was to bridge connection. Yeah, with those um, love letters. Right? Oh, God. Yes. And so it's also to bridge connection with others on a, like a deep, soulful level. Yes. And I know that I can only do that when I'm tapping into that for myself yes. with my own experience first. That's so beautiful. We always have to get to the root within ourselves first. Absolutely. I've seen this time and time again, nurturing Black Girl and Elm as well. Um, You know, the first two and a half, probably three years of me focusing so much on the excitement of sharing, you know, self-care, self-love, self-empowerment with other women of color. So I didn't realize that in doing that, I was getting away from my own personal practice Mm -hmm. and my own personal wellness and healing journey. And then at year three, it was like the return to myself. Mm. And from turning inward in a very radical way, it's like the expansion outward that naturally happened. I didn't have to do, quote unquote, anything. I just had to focus on being. And on that, you know, the ripples that have been felt. So we have to remember that. And remember that. And remember that again and again sometimes. <laughs> For sure. And we fluctuate, right? Like sometimes yes. we need to come back to ourselves to tap deeper into yes. ourselves. And yes. other times we have to be more external focused mm-hmm. in um, kind of pouring out what we've discovered within ourselves. And yes. then we come back and we go out and yes. in and we open and close like flowers like mm-hmm. all the time. And mm-hmm. um, the art is knowing when. <laughs> she brought me a flower, y'all. <laughs> so I just held it up when she said flower. <laughs> It's very open right now. Actually, there's some that are open and some that are budded. True. So it's a mix. So um, let's talk about ego. Mm. Um, I know that, you know, um, it is something that is referenced a lot within spiritual circles, within wellness circles. Um, I see you illustrate really beautiful pieces of art that also relate to the ego. And also, you know, it's the question of like, how do you as the artist and as someone holding space kind of witness and interact with your own ego through the creation process as well? Oh man, leave it to the creation process to really show you ego. (laughs) (laughs) So like, for example, writing a book right now, especially like, whoa, there's so, so much there, especially when it comes to hyper-focusing on the outcome Mm. and all that may come from the outcome and how much that sucks away the inspiration during the long-term process. You know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's super real. But actually, I'm really called to share a long, somewhat of a long-winded story that will inform um, how I think about ego as opposed to not. Yeah. So... The ancient Greeks and Romans believed that, and a lot of indigenous cultures believe this, including the Vedas, Mm -hmm. which taught us that creativity is a divine given archetype Mm. that we as human beings need to exude and at the same time transcend our humanity and our historic actuality. Wow. So 
we'll go with the ancient Greeks and Romans because so much of the English language is mm -hmm. adopted from that. But they believed that creativity didn't come from one individual. It came from and comes from an external, disembodied, divine source Girl. that comes to us when we're open and willing and ready, and sometimes even when we're not, but it, it comes to us. And it's our job as humans and bodies with fingers and hands and talents to listen and translate and mm. make based on what our talents are. Mm. So the Greeks called them daemons. And Socrates, for example, believed that he had a daemon with him in his writer studio, kind of speaking wisdom into yeah. his ear that he was just translating. The Romans believed that these forces were called genius. Mm. So no one person was a genius. People had geniuses yes. that were assisting them. And, of course, we also call them ancestors, guides, yes. angels, fairies, the universe, right. whatever. And so for a long time, that was a widespread belief mm -hmm. that we all have daemons, geniuses, ancestors around us that yes. are feeding us. Yes. And that it's this collective force that mm -hmm. we can tap into mm -hmm. and the source that is accessible and available to all of us. Around the time of the Renaissance, which is also when a bunch of European countries colonized a lot of the world, that changed and that was really lost. Mm. And it became centered on individual people. Right. That genius, brilliance, creativity emerged from one person or some people. You either had it or you didn't. Exactly. And it was very much about being rational, um, being able to prove your creativity in a way. And it it's a lot of responsibility mm -hmm. for one fragile psyche to carry. Yeah. <laughs> like we just we just can't, which is why so much of the time, art, starving artists, there's such a common trope between being a creative, being an artist, and suffering mm -hmm. and having mental instability, mm -hmm. which I think is twofold because, of course, artists do tend to be sensitive, very empathetic, very attuned to surroundings and yeah. feelings. And at the same time, art becomes really more of a suffering mm -hmm. when we are believing that it's within us and only from us, right. which is ego. Right. Ego is very isolating. Ego is very eye-centric. Mm. And so... To go back to this belief, to reclaim this belief that we are assisted in our creative process, yes. that there is something beyond us that's a collective consciousness, that's a universal force and source that we can tap into, yes. is literally decolonizing creativity. I love that. And decolonizing our minds and our bodies and our inherent capabilities yes. toward this, yes. which we all have access to. Absolutely. And ego is wanting to either make us better or worse. <laughs> ego finds it really boring to be equal, to believe that we all have access to the source. It has, it has no delight in that. It really delights in comparing mm. ourselves and us to other people and other things and what we think art is and what we think creativity is. And we all have egos. It's embedded in our psyches. Right. But there's a reason why we've evolved to still have egos today. Yes. And it's because it's protective. Yes. Like, we need our egos to some degree. Mm -hmm. Our egos kind of project stories based on our past onto the future or mm -hmm. present mm -hmm. to protect us, to help us feel like we have some knowing or control right. over a situation. Because really the future, not knowing the future, what's going to happen in an hour, in a week, in a year is an existential 
fear. Yeah. Right? Like, how do we deal with that on a daily basis, not knowing what's going to happen? Right. We could die right. tomorrow. And our egos help us kind of be functional. Mm-hmm. But it's also very much about safety, about what we know, about mm-hmm. the past. And creativity is the opposite. Creativity is unbounded. It's risky. Yeah. It's expanding boundaries and taking a leap into the unknown. Yes. And that's where the best creativity comes Absolutely. Ah, uh, number one, <laughs> I can't wait for your book. And thank you for shedding light about how that process has illuminated even more about the ego for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also in the beginning stages of writing a book, and the same thing came up for me. I was actually speaking with my godbrother, Aaron I, who's like one of my favorite people on the mm-hmm. planet. Hey, Aaron. Mm-hmm. He's an artist as well. He's a singer-songwriter. As you yeah. know, you met him. Yeah. Good vibes. <laughs> Good vibes. And I told him, I said, um, well, I just don't know how to start, and I'm just uncertain about the process, so I haven't, you know, yet begun. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this this kind of excuse of, like, I don't know how, so I'm not going to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. came up. Yeah. And he encouraged me. He was like, every time I create an album, I create it as though I'm starting it for the first time. And knowing that it's the first time lessens the for him, lessens the pressure to do it a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really beautiful reflective moment for me about how my ego shows up. Yes. My ego shows up thinking that it has to do something the right way, even when it's a deeply creative, and to your point, creativity is boundless. Yeah. And so I could start writing chapter 10 and then go back to chapter one. I could start writing stream of consciousness and let that, inf- I could look yes. back through all my journals. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It does not matter. For it does sure. not matter. All that matters is that I begin. Yeah. Um, That's really smart because mm-hmm. I think kind of like what you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. creativity is like for the inner child. Mm-hmm. And children have that thing that Aaron's talking about. Like, yes. this is new. This is the first time. Yes. I don't know what I'm supposed to know <laughs> or what it looks like. I'm just yes. going for it and yes. seeing where it takes me. And I think that's why we are delighting our inner children when we can approach creativity in that way, yes. because we're understanding that we don't know everything and that's okay. Absolutely. And that we're learning. Yes. I was listening to a really great talk with Tara Brock the other day. Mm. And, you know, she always shares these little funny little anecdotes that are, like, really corny but still make so you laugh. Corny, but love them. And yeah. she shared this, you know, anecdote of a, an adult talking to a kid saying, I don't know how to draw or paint. And she was like, you mean you forgot? Yeah, I you know? love that one. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. She draws so much wisdom from children, which I think it makes her wiser. So yes, definitely. It's a good one. Definitely. <laughs> So you have this amazing newsletter called Moon Times. I know that you and I share the same passion for the moon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a full moon today. It is. Oh, my God. It's also the first full moon on the 13th in, I think, 21 years. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. There's some potency in there, especially given, like, the kind of... um, I I believe it's a a conditioned colonized thing around Mm. bad luck of 13. Yes. Yes. It depends how we want to look at I'm it. I'm all about it. It feels amazing. great in here, doesn't it? Friday the 13th, <laughs> yes. nonetheless. Yes. For real. Yeah. That's dope. So let's talk about your intention with this newsletter, like how the inspiration came and how you have felt putting this beautiful offering out into the world. Every time I receive it, I'm all about it. I read every word and I forward it on to like 10 people. <laughs> wow. Thank you. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's such a, um, I think it's going back to that deeper why of bringing soothing and healing to self first, which also I want to say can be easily perceived as selfish. But you know what I've learned that 
that's part of social change, like understanding what we need first and then giving what we need to ourselves first so that we allow permission to be given to others to do that for themselves. Yes. Because if we are all tending to our own needs in the world, first and foremost, and able to be right in ourselves, what would the world look like? Yes. You know, versus trying to externalize our needs onto other people or project our judgments of self onto Mm. other people. And so the moon time... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For real, it's it's unfortunate. It's happening so much. Mm-hmm. And the moon times has been medicine for me on a monthly mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. This year and the year prior, the topics have kind of just whisper, been whispered to me by mm. demons, muses. Geniuses. <laughs> Geniuses, exactly, all around me all the time. And it always feels so alive for me. And it's a deep dive. I have a month of exploring the topic, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere from healthy boundaries in relationship, to body wisdom, to reparenting the inner child, to the shadows of envy and jealousy. Mm. So it's really across the spectrum to leaning into your awkward. (laughs) So they're all very personal and relatable. I think I remember that one. Weren't you talking about like how you would just intentionally do awkward things? Oh, and then you shared photos of yourself looking awkward at a talk that you gave. (laughs) Yes. Because, you know, when I saw it, I was just like, damn, I cannot take candid photos, like, for my life. And so I was like, well, I'm going to share this because this is real. (laughs) It was like the opposite of what you would think of, like, an Instagrammable photo. That's what what she shared in these newsletters, and it was amazing. I think I need to share it on my Instagram, (laughs) you know. But anyway, yeah. And so the topic this month is compassionate vibes only. Yes. And that's very real for me because actually two of my teachers – on mindful self-compassion are going to be featured in it. Mm. So it's very much about leveraging wisdom of those who have been doing the work longer because I'm also learning in this process. And I also happen to, at the same time, have an acquired toolkit of things to share that I know is worthwhile for people. And so I think another thing with the moon times that I wanted to bring in, the reason why it's called the moon times is I wanted to be more attuned with the moon. So yes. I intended to release it around the full moon so that I'm aware of what's going on. Yes. Um, before I released the moon times, I began to notice that around the full moon, I tend to be pretty sensitive mm. and pretty saturated. Yes. And so just month after month, noticing this trend, I was like, I need to be more attuned to it so I can yes. kind of take it outside of myself and not be like, what's wrong with me? Why yes. am I so sensitive right now? You know? Yes. And to remember that like, holy moly, there's like cosmic things that are happening that are affecting all of us. By nature, the moon affects our tides of our waters and we're like majoritively water. So how can we not be affected by it? And so um, that's why it's called the moon times. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's simultaneously very beautiful and artistic and then also very educational. And um, it's kind of on the border of yin and yang, Mm -hmm. I would say yin being very intuitive very contemplative, reflective, meditative, and then also very scientific, analytical, and object-based. So I do really like evidence-based information, but I also realize that science doesn't prove the muses and geniuses around us that are informing our deeper creativity. And so, yeah, it's a mix of those. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And thank you for drawing awareness to how you feel around the full moon. You know, I think... A lot of us can feel that way around that time. And with, you know, as people with periods, we can Mm -hmm. also feel that way when we are in flow, literally. And so, you know, sometimes we, if we don't 
cultivate enough awareness around this, it can have us also feeling anxious or depressed and isolate ourselves away from the world. I know for you as an artist and as someone who holds space for people, you definitely affirm creative practice as medicine for depression, for anxiety. I'd love to just give space for you to speak to how you've seen that generate healing. Yes. Certainly in my own life, in the various stories that I've shared already, I that's the most truthful and honest experience I've had. And then being able to witness other people's journeys and their incorporation of creative practices medicine has also affirmed that truth. Mm. So Brene Brown, who's amazing, yes. she said on Twitter casually that unused creativity is not benign. It gets metastasized as rage and sorrow and judgment and shame. And it can be destructive yeah. because creativity is such a powerful energy. It's powerful enough to heal us, to transform culture, to change the world. And when we are repressing it, when we're not speaking, when we're not moving our bodies and expressing, um, when we're not reveling in what we are making for us as a meal or the various ways that we're creative on a daily basis, we are harming ourselves to some degree. Right. And so... I like to think of our bodies as a mason jar, Mm. specifically a mason jar with a lid that has holes in it, Mm. like if you're with kids and collecting fireflies in the summer. Mm -hmm. So our bodies, in the physical sense, have a limited capacity Mm. to hold stuff. Mm -hmm. And our senses are those holes. Mm. And it could be our physical senses, our five senses, our intuitive senses. And the stimulation that we are intentionally and unintentionally, consciously and subconsciously exposed to on a daily basis Mm -hmm. are things that get entered into those holes into our mason jar, including energy, including what we listen to and Mm -hmm. see. And of course, there's only limited capacity in that mason jar. And creative practice to me is unscrewing that lid and letting stuff out to clear space. And then of course, we have to screw it back on and go Mm -hmm. back into the world and continue to take stuff in. And have the practice of also releasing. Mm -hmm. And the first time I really noticed that stark shift in me with the release and whatnot was when I was doing that daily practice Mm -hmm. of 15 minutes a day to just put out what was happening inside on a piece of paper. And we need that because if we don't output and just take stuff in, then we get really condensed and heavy and kind of like crowded inside of us such that we have a really hard time accessing that deeper ability to channel within and externally and let flow. Yes. And um, we need that. We do. Thank you for articulating that so beautifully. (laughs) You illuminated like the reason for why I recently completely changed my relationship to social media Mm. and it was because I was realizing how much I was intaking and it didn't actually even matter if it was positive Mm -hmm. it was still a bombardment of content and I feel so much lighter now and so much more in touch with the boundless creativity that we keep on coming back to in this conversation feel so much in touch with my highest self I feel a lot of clarity And I also spend, I think, an average of 10 to 15 minutes 
a day on Instagram. Now. Yes. And do you have the screen? Like I the do. screen? That's I do. so good. And I I'm love like, that. This is so great. <laughs> yes, it is. It's yeah. a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really glad that you distinguished, even if it's good stuff, you know, yes. it's inspiring and yes. like pleasing to see. Yes. It's still really important for us to be selective with that. Absolutely. We only need so much inspiration before we need to tap into our own. (laughs) Yes. Right? Yes. If we kind of go and air a little bit too much on the like bombarding ourselves with inspiration, then we fall into comparing mind. Exactly. Naturally. And you talk a lot about that. Oh my gosh. Comparing mind is, I think, one of the biggest blocks to creativity. Yes. It just is. And it's also so inherent to us and inherent to how we are socialized, yes. thinking about going through the school system and being graded and ranked. Yes. And just having so many hierarchies based on infinite subjective things right. around identity and appearance, for example. Comparing mind is prevalent. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the primary things that I work with with my clients around creativity and just general happiness and satisfaction and gratefulness yes, um, to notice comparing mind yes. and call it out for what it is yes. and then move forward yes. from, from yeah. a greater knowing of what, what our purpose is. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. What else is on your heart at this moment? What are you moving through personally and or through your offerings? What is, what's present? Mm. I love that. I think what I'm what I'm moving toward right now is having a deeper level of compassion with myself. I'm actually in a compassion class, as I mentioned, um, which is why the Moon Times on Compassionate Vibes Only is is happening, and the practice of bringing compassion to self is so real and necessary and urgent. Yes. We often don't realize how rude, straight up rude or Mm. mean we are to ourselves. Mm. And we say things to ourselves that we would never, ever say to a friend or someone we care about, even someone we don't care about. Girl, it's (laughs) true. It's true. And, And we have a, I think, a very patriarchal idea that in order to motivate ourselves and be ambitious and driven, we need to talk to ourselves that way. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I don't do this, then I'm not going to... Exactly. (laughs) Yes. If I don't berate myself, I'm not going to have the motivation to do the stuff. Right. And and that's unfortunate. And it's true. Like, to some degree, it does get ourselves up off our asses Mm -hmm. and and do things. Mm -hmm. But how sustainable is that? Right. How long do we do that until we're burnt out and hating ourselves? Yeah. And so I found compassion to be such a gentle, loving, kind way to do that. And as, I, as I've been learning it, compassion is not necessarily to make ourselves feel good per se. Mm. It does for me feel really, really good yeah. to be held in compassion. But it's really something that we can bring to ourselves when we are not feeling good and to just let it be that. And if we're in a moment of pain or suffering, it's having the mindfulness, first of all, like, yeah, wow, I'm in pain right now. This is, this is a moment of suffering. Right. And then also part of part of mindful self-compassion, it's like a whole body of research mm-hmm. that's out right now, and it's rooted in deeper philosophy. It just happens to have some more kind of evidence now, which is great for, for some people, <laughs> whatever, whatever gets the message out. Right. Um, the second kind of pillar of, of self-compassion is understanding that whatever we're going through is part of common humanity, which yes. is kind of what we've been talking about, yes. that no matter how isolated you might feel in your feelings, you're not the only one out of 7.5, <laughs> billion people who've right. ever experienced this. Right. So having the faith that there's some common humanity to it. 
And then the third really about compassion is having self-kindness. And that's just allowing whatever is happening to be happening, knowing that it'll pass Mm. and asking the question, what's something I need right now? Mm -hmm. How often do we ask ourselves, what do you need right now? And it could be something as small as a nap (laughs) or a cup of tea or reaching out to someone you care about Mm -hmm. and having those moments of checking in, in mindfulness and kindness is alive and thriving in me. And I want so much to share it and spread it more. Yes. I love everything. (laughs) And that question you landed on, oftentimes when I guide meditations, I invite that question at the end. Mm. What is it that I need to give myself a little bit more of starting today? Yes. And you suggesting that we just bring that into our personal practice and then give that to ourselves, that is so deeply radical because the more that we can pay attention to our own needs and then provide that for ourselves, then the more we're going to be able to articulate our needs to other people as well. And that's so powerful too. Earlier this week, I had a day that was filled with triggers and I continued Mm -hmm. to deny the anxiety that I was feeling until, of course, then it all built up and it came to a head. And (laughs) um, I ended up taking care of myself that evening and also being cared for by a friend. And there was like such a sweet moment with my friend, Alexandria, Mm. who um, I was about to take a bath. And this is after she like made me dinner, made me this herbal tea. And I was like, thank Mm. you. Like I had my hand on my heart and I looked at her and I was like, thank you for everything. Like literally said it just like that. (laughs) And she was like, do you need a hug? And I was like, Yes. (laughs) And we hugged. But it was so symbolic, I think, of what I was essentially doing for myself. Like, she was my reflection of me in that moment. Because even though all day I continued to deny it, that Mm -hmm. evening I was like, nope, you're going to express how you feel to yourself. You're going to express how you feel to your friend. You're going to do evening rituals rather than just go to bed and be in this energy. You're going to surround yourself with warm water and release that. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like, it was, it was definitely my friend in that moment, but it was also to me a metaphor of like me with me, like hugging myself, giving myself what I needed and, and taking care. Mm, What a Mm -hmm. blessing to have a friend too that can reflect you. You know, that's, that's really, really important from the time we're little to even, when we're independent adults, yeah. like we need that reflection, that affirmation. Yes. Um, and I think hearing you talk about too, like going through your day, as you said, kind of denying the triggers. Yeah. Like I think this is why I'm also really passionate about the message of compassionate vibes only. Yes. In contrast, riffing off of the good vibes only <laughs> trope, which there's a difference. There is a difference, yes. and and that's really popular. But I, I can't get down with it because I think it's really invalidating of our spectrum of our human experience of the various vibes that are flowing through us every single day. And really so much of what my work in art is to do is to validate that we're not bad if we feel sad. We're not weak if we feel depressed. We're not evil or um, aggressive if we feel angry. Anger and aggression are two different things. And I think we often equate it, especially in women of color. Yes. So... Yeah, it's, it's really about that compassion and meeting yourself exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. And even if we don't know the answer to what do you need right now, <laughs> the answer doesn't always come. And it will come eventually, remaining open-hearted to receive it whenever it will land. Absolutely. Yeah. And if we're judging ourselves for not knowing, like, how do I not even know what I want? Right. Like, if we're not used to asking ourselves that question, yes. how is it that that's going to come up right yes. away? And yes. so, yeah, exactly, being open and compassionate to that unknowing as yes. well, yes. trusting that it will come the more we ask it. 
Thank you for delineating between like good and compassion because that was me as recent as last year. This is why before this chat, I was telling you how I feel like I have grown so much in the past several months and it's mm-hmm. unbelievable. But just shy of my 31st birthday, my best friend um, really held a lot of space for me after my birthday when I came back from my solo trip to Mexico. <laughs> I was like, I just did this thing for myself. Yay, yay, yay. And I got back and I was basically depressed mm-hmm. and I didn't know why. And my best friend reflected back to me, it's because you're not actually honoring all of your emotions. I was so at that time in life, still only valuing all the emotions that were on the spectrum of quote unquote good. Mm -hmm. So anything else that arose, I was like suppressing it or denying it. And I wasn't letting it out. And so she gifted me a feelings journal (laughs) for me to write down not the things that I was manifesting and like that I wanted and affirmations, but all the other things. And that changed the game for me. Mm -hmm. That changed the game for me to not only affirm and not even seek to affirm just what is good, but to invite more of that compassionate energy towards all that I feel and not attaching to any of those feelings, but understanding that it's useful information for me as I'm navigating this human experience. So useful. And our capacity to feel the more uncomfortable, darker, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. emotions informs our capacity to feel the other spectrum of emotions. They play into each other and there's wisdom in both. Mm -hmm. Also, I think our degree of compassion with ourselves and our own spectrum highly correlates to our degree of compassion Mm -hmm. with other people and their spectrum of emotions. So someone who is cutting themselves off from sadness or anger is going to find it really hard to relate to someone, lots of folks who are feeling sadness and anger. And that's, that is unfortunate for everybody. Yes. No, that, what you just said, I've seen that play out within my life, too. When my grandmother passed away in 2017, my aunt, who I love dearly, made a comment before my grandmother's service, this was like a week or two before, about whether or not I was going to cry because I was officiating Mm. the service. And it was so interesting to me because I was like, of course I'll probably cry. You know, my grandmother passed away. Mm -hmm. But she was at the time unable to recognize how like tears and release in that way was such like a beautiful and also necessary thing because she was still grieving in her own way. She was still at a stage of grief that was probably still about the anger Mm -hmm. and not about like the sadness and the release of that sadness. But then literally two months later, Thanksgiving, you know, it was the first Thanksgiving without my grandmother with us. Mm -hmm. My aunt was in tears at the table and I was able to be in a space to hold her because mm-hmm. I had allowed the tears to move through me. Yes. So it was like such this beautiful 360 moment that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I'm like getting teary thinking about it right now because it's that ultimate kind of representation of what it means to like be patient and compassionate with yourself. And then from that space, again, then you're able to hold space for others. Yes. Yeah. For sure. And Girl, don't even get me started about crying. (laughs) I love crying. I think it's like our body is so freaking wise. Yes. Like the fact that we come out of the womb crying as we should sometimes. Some some don't. Oh, my God. It's amazing. You're so right. You know, like it's so natural. Yes. It's our body's tendency to release, to moisturize, to let go. And it's so unfortunate that we've grown and attributed these judgments as weakness of crying, yet it's, it is medicine. Yes. 
Yes. Oh, girl. I have like a newfound relationship with crying over the past year, and it's definitely been great. Oh, my gosh. Yes. (sighs) Very healing. Shilpa Jane, one of my dear friends, shared that she learned from a curandera that crying and letting the tears flow down your face without like wiping them away or whatever is super healing and letting them fall into the earth Mm. is like true release like a a snake shedding its skin and then blowing your nose when you're crying Mm -hmm. because mucus forms naturally is like um, a more potent way to like just releasing what your body is trying to release and so helping your body do what it wisely wants to do is is the best thing to do when we're when we're crying I love that well thank you so much this was a gift in all the ways. Um, how can people stay in touch with you? And also, what are some of the things that you offer as well? Because I know that you hold space for many, many women. Yeah. And just all people, but mm. many women of color in particular. I do really heal. love working with women of color. Mm-hmm. I do offer one-on-one consultation, specifically with folks who are wanting to deepen their creativity and their spiritual practice and to work with grappling emotions like depression and anxiety. Um, I think those are all just symptoms of something deeper and often kind of a disconnection from a, a deeper, wiser source. Yeah. I do a lot of community workshops wherever I am locally and also with organizations. I really like bringing these practices into institutions, agencies that would be open to it. And last night, actually, we started the three-month Accessing Abundant Creativity series, amazing, which is online, and that happens three times a year. So we've started already, but the next cohort will start in February of 2020. Beautiful. We can plan ahead. Yes. So <laughs> people can still go on the site and get on the mailing list to be informed as to when the next one starts. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, where can we find you on social media? So you can find me at Mosaic I. M-O-S-A-I-C-E-Y-E on Instagram. And the website is mosaiciunfolding.com. And go there and get you all the cards and prints because I do, (laughs) my friends, and everyone's always like, oh my God, this spoke directly to my soul. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) That's what she does because she spoke it directly to her soul. Mm -hmm. And then it ripples out from there. (laughs) Absolutely. For sure. Thank you for blessing us and for blessing me. So mutual. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I affirm that you discover this conversation in divine time and that you'll activate any of the insights that resonated with you powerfully moving forward. Now, at Black Girl and Home, we're all about gratitude. So special thanks to our audio engineer, India Jordan, for adding your magic. Khalid B for your original music. Valerie Titus Glover and Rosalind Davis for your support in the production of this episode. And thank you, yes you, <laughs> for listening to the show. Y'all, Black Girl and Home is here for you. We're actively rewriting the narrative of what well-being looks like to ourselves and in our communities. To get more involved and to learn more about us, head to blackgirlandhome.com and join our newsletter while you're at it. If you do, you'll get an exclusive and free download of a meditation led by yours truly for Black women and girls everywhere. Are you also deepening into your journey of wholeness and healing with us on social? Follow us at Black Girl and Ohm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. What we're about here is real sustained impact. If you're influenced by something that you heard on our podcast and want to support, you can make a contribution today by heading to blackgirlinohm.com slash support. 
easy. Thank you.